Hi, uh, my name is Russell Shell. I'm with the Global Taiwan Institute, the Jamestown Foundation, and Pacific Forum. And I'm Maggie Lewis. I'm with Seton Hall Law and also Academia Seneca here in Taipei. Well, Maggie, let's just jump right in. Um, I read a very interesting article that you uh, just published with Brookings recently um, on Taiwan's vitality. I thought it was very interesting because much of the uh, coverage on COVID-19 and vaccines in Ta about Taiwan uh, have largely focused on the international component of how it's a democratic model um, you know, for uh, response to pandemics and or the cross-strait uh, effects of China's obstruction of uh, Taiwan's acquisition of, of vaccine. But you took a different approach and you looked at it from the perspective of the domestic policy and political implications. And I think that's far more telling in terms of trying to understand the trajectory of, of, of Taiwan society and, and its government uh, policy. So uh, tell, tell us more about what, the, um, what those, uh, those, those factors are that you uh, highlighted in that piece. Yeah, I think part of it is that having been here the past year and, and having experienced uh, just for so long how we were living in this basically partying like it was 2019, um, that trying to let people outside of Taiwan know that even though this outbreak compared to a lot of countries is constrained, but how much it has rocked Taiwan in particular, because now too, we've had a couple Delta cases down in Pingdong and that cluster seems to be under control, but we all know that that raises even more concerns given how ferocious it is. Uh, I did make a point of not using the word China once in 1200 words because too, as you note, there's so much focus on, on Taiwan as this you know, the unsinkable aircraft carrier or the most dangerous place on earth and, and, and oftentimes not enough focus on what's happening here on the ground. Uh, there's no doubt that the Tsai administration has taken uh, a hit in uh, popularity with uh, the last month and a half, uh, but we also know that a lot can happen in a short time in Taiwan politics and the local elections of November 2022 are still far away. So I'm not putting any bets on who's down and who's out as far as DPP and KMT. Uh, but it's it's been pretty rocky and having uh, both the mayors of New Taipei and Taipei not be DPP has, has added to the roller coaster. Well, you know, as part of this broader sort of discussion on these domestic political issues that you've highlighted, you also um, underscored, a, I think, a very important um, indicator of the incoming assistant secretary of state for uh, East Asian and Pacific Affairs, Daniel Crittenbrank, in whom in his uh, Senate testimony uh, indicated, I think very tellingly, um, in stating that he, he, he would uh, strengthen efforts to deepen ties and, and quote, every sector. And so, you know, if, if, if the incoming assistant secretary, you know, comes up to you, Maggie, and asks you, how do we, what should we be doing to strengthen um, ties in every sector? What, what would you tell them? Yeah, and I think that's the whole thing is every sector that um, we need more Americans on the ground here. That's hard right now, uh, given the 15 night quarantine, which I have done with my children. Um, but I think having more um, Americans studying here is going to make Taiwan again feel like more like a place that is its own place and not just um, an, you know, this self-governing island. Um, I think certainly you got to keep the, the military um, aspect going and think creatively about what is the best kind of defense for Taiwan and economically. And that's where the focus is. 
things. Um, we're hours out from the TIFA talks uh, starting, and and I'm curious uh, what what you think uh, is might come of that, and and how much this is actually potentially setting the stage for a more robust uh, bilateral trade agreement. Yeah, I mean, I, I think while this is certainly a step in the right direction with the resumption of TIFA talks uh, that's taking place in DC time uh, tomorrow. Um, I, I don't think it's uh, time yet to really uh, claim victory uh, for a uh, potential free trade agreement. Um, you know, I think this is the beginning of a process. Um, but these events, high profile uh, dialogues, uh, do have an action reinforcing mechanism that I think can serve potentially as building blocks for discussions on the substantive margins of a potential, you know, comprehensive uh, trade agreement that, you know, would hopefully deal, uh, you know, certainly piece by piece uh, with concrete results on issues, you know, whether related to semiconductor supply chains or, you know, talking about trade facilitation and for, you know, those of who are sort of trade wants that just, that means harmonization of export and import processes um, and matters of digital trade, which are, you know, I think it's essential components of the international trade agenda uh, in the 21st century and are, would be critical in any, um, you know, future uh, trade agreement um, in the future. Um, so um, all in all, though, I think still this is a, a positive sign uh, that the Biden administration seems to be thinking strategically about trade and, um, and, and weaving it into its uh, broader uh, regional and international strategy. And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's something that uh, is worth applauding and encouraging to see. So great. And let's hope Ractopork doesn't derail it. <laughs> got it.